0: Oh yes. Hello friends, welcome back. My guest today is Scott Barry Kaufman, host of the Psychology Podcast, psychologist at Columbia University and writer. Today we are talking about his new book Transcend, the new science of self-actualization. We all live in a world where there are quantifiable metrics of success, these objective measures of happiness or wealth or power or whatever it might be, and some of us spend a lot of time chasing after them, and yet so many people feel unsatisfied and deeply unconnected to the world and those around them. So why is that the case? How can we transcend our nature, become more than we are, and maybe more than we could ever hope to be as well? And today we get to go through some amazing exercises from Scott. He has a beautifully calming voice, so if you're feeling a little bit anxious at the moment with the State of the chaos that's going on outside, I'm confident that Scott's calming, dulcet tones are going to help you wind down. In other news, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Surfshark VPN. Surfshark VPN, you will know by now, is a service which allows you to change the location of where you are browsing from. Why would I want to do that? Well, there's a few reasons. You might want to make sure that you're not getting split-tested on prices from Amazon. We're not going to be buying any flights anytime soon, so that's out of the window. But first and foremost, it allows you to change the location of where you are browsing from so that you can access other countries' Netflix libraries. If you're in the States, you can access the UK's or Russia's, if you want to watch Russia's. And if you are anywhere else in the world, you can access America's Netflix, which is an absolute treasure trove, especially seeing as we're all locked down at the moment. The price of I think it's one pound fifty nine a month to supercharge your Netflix. So just go and do it. You won't regret it. Surfshark dot slash modern wisdom for eighty-three percent off and an extra month for free. That's surfshark.deals slash modern wisdom. But for now, please welcome the wise and wonderful Scott Barry Kaufman.
1: Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. So great to chat with you today.
0: Really excited to speak to you today. So we're talking about Transcend. We're going to be speaking about self-actualization. Kind of uh, at the moment, I suppose, the way that people view their own lives and what they can do with them is probably a, a pretty timely topic at the moment, right?
1: I would say so. I think people are struggling in a lot of ways that they are perhaps losing sight of the self-actualization that that's possible within them. It can be very easy to lose sight of the greater possibilities for yourself and for your fellow humans when you're pitched in this state of insecurity.
0: Mm. So I know that you're a a big fan of Maslow and you base a lot of what you do on top of some of his work, I guess. He's okay. He's all right. He's pretty, (laughs) he's pretty cool. Um, I'm gonna guess that at a time like this, where people are very concerned about some real basics—the bottom of the pyramid—are who are worried about the health, the family's health. You know, there's food and water shortages. You see these images of Costco and everyone's ripping shit off the shelves and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: Like, does that? I ch- know, and toilet paper—they're ripping the toilet paper. You
0: know, oh, the toilet paper is the maddest thing because it doesn't—it doesn't affect your digestion. But that's—that we could go on forever about that. Um how does that relate do you think to the way that people are seeing their lives at the moment the fact that their more uh, immediate primal needs are, are kind of brought to the forefront
1: so what is the question exactly how do i what like how do i perceive the situation so at the moment
0: we're talk- we're going to yeah. be talking about self actualization and transcending sure. is there a an upper bound that's being placed on that by the immediacy of people's concerns uh, at the moment
1: i see what you're saying well there's there certainly is and and that's the the great tragedy of of a falling prey to insecurity and uncertainty. What I mean by falling prey is there, there there's always going to be uncertainty in our lives. We're in this. It, it's funny people are are just are acting as though this situation is like the first time in their life that. There's great uncertainty. I mean, there's 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 equally probabilities, actually greater probabilities of things when you cross the street every day and you're like, you life. Know, you you don't think about all these things, you know. <laughs> but here, there, there's a there's a thing we could see on the media. There's a thing we can see on TV where, you know, people are talking about it every day. Is this is the thing? But it turns out, and I hate to break it, break the news. You hear breaking news, <laughs> Scott Barr Kaufman. Breaking news. You know how CNN is like breaking. That's news. why we're here. So Scott, yeah, breaking news. Uh, you have. Lots and lots of things, shit that can go wrong in, in, <laughs> your, in your 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 day. <laughs> Tell in it in like my it terms is of Scott. like, my terms of my priorities of things that can go wrong, the COVID nineteen is 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 is, is pre- prevalent. But I wouldn't even say that's my number one thing I'm concerned about <laughs> in my day. I'm just trying to uh, be mentally good <laughs> through the day. So, look, there are lots of things, and and I think the, the managing uncertainty is a lifelong skill. And if there's any silver lining to the moment we're in right now is that maybe we can, maybe now is the, now's the time to practice. You know, Hopefully every, all, all the listeners and, and people around the world will um, will make it through this healthy uh, and safe. I, I certainly have that wish for everyone. But if there's any silver lining once we all get through to the other side, it's that maybe this is a great opportunity to learn some of those important uncertainty management skills that we probably should have been learning throughout the rest of our lives, not, not just in this moment.
0: I couldn't agree more. There's this great example about uncertainty that Rory Sutherland, my friend from Ogilvy Advertising, told me, he was talking about London Heathrow, and he was saying that the wait times at London Heathrow to get through the security scan section were just causing abhorrent amounts of complaints. It was taking too long, yeah. people were getting irritated. <coughs> um, so originally they went to London Heathrow and they said, Um, what have you tried? What have you been looking at doing? And because of the sort of people that run an airport, logistics, operations, optimization stuff. So they'd looked at, can we rotate the staff in a different way to make sure that they can move quicker? Where can we, can we condense the lanes down so we can fit more lanes of people in? Can we do? They looked at it as a a logistical optimization problem. And they brought, I can't remember if it was Rory or one of his friends in and they said, right. Before you do that, before you spend several million pounds on new staff and new equipment, let's just try one thing. And along the queue where you waited to get into the security uh, scanning area, they just placed little posters that said 45-minute wait from here, 30-minute wait from here, 15-minute wait from here. <laughs> it's all like the Disneyland. Way yeah, and the number of complaints dropped by like a factor of 10. They just completely annihilate it because people don't mind waiting. They don't mind being in discomfort. They just want to know when it's going to end. And that's that's the uncertainty, right? We don't know when this is going to end.
1: That's, exa- that's exactly right. And it's particularly stressful for those who score high on a personality trait called neuroticism. So people who score high in neuroticism would prefer the devil they know to the devil they don't know. So I imagine there are some that maybe they wouldn't admit it in play company, but they're almost like, give me the fucking virus already. You know, (laughs) like, like, let me get over with it, over with it because it's actually more painful to my mental health to, to not know when it's coming because they say it's coming. (laughs) They say there's an 80% chance that, you know, that you're, you're going to get it probably, you know, um, not that you're going to die from it. Maybe maybe, let me be clear, but that you'll even, you know, it'll, you'll, you might not even be symptomatic, but you'll get it. You know? um, that some people are probably like secretly being like, just give it to me, already. By the way, am I allowed to curse in your podcast? You I know can I just
0: curse did. away uh, all you. you want, Scott. Thank you, thank um, you.
1: So let's 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 get into it. What is? How do
0: you define self-actualization? What is it? I've heard people speaking about it, but I don't know what it is.
1: Um, so should I say it one more time.
0: What is self-actualization? How do you? Oh, have a <laughs> good it? question. That's good the question. question. Well, people
1: have to misrepresented Maslow's ideas of self-actualization and you know, for instance David Brooks who's a New York Times columnist really was hating on Maslow a couple of years ago and wrote something about how Maslow's ideas of, of self-actualization are the cause of the self-esteem movement we had in America where people could be like oh I can be anything I want because you know I'm good good enough and Doggone it! People like me, you know. That's the that was the skit from Sirenette Live. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with that skit, but it it turns out it's it's not true. I mean, that's not fair. And when I read that, I was like, oh hell no, mm-hmm. you know. Like, and actually, I got Brooks on my podcast, and I said, oh hell no to him, you know. And anyway, it was a little awkward, but whatever. Um, I, I still have great respect for him, but you know, I was just being SBK, being SBK. Uh, but um, you know, this is the thing: is like he. Maslow really made it clear that to fully self-actualize, we have to eventually transcend ourselves. That self-actualization is really only a bridge to transcendence. You can't reach your full potential if you you're not helping to reach the full potential of others. Like you're 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 not reaching your full potential. (laughs) You know, people talk about reaching their full potential as though like they develop. That, that, that it stops when you develop your talents to its full capacity and there's a lot of people in the self-help space people you know you're you're probably very familiar with this you know um, that that have that conceptualization like their high level highest level goal is like greatness that's it and then then you're done as though greatness defined by them might only mean out achieving everyone but that's not Full greatness, you know, that's not the fullest potential. Maslow really tried to show people a vision of what humans really could be, what our what our highest ceilings of human nature really could be, kind of pulling the way forward for that. And that's what I tried to do in this book as well, in that same spirit, and show that full self actualization is not just an individualistic pursuit. It's becoming all you're capable of becoming. That is true. We can we can define self actualization as quite simply as becoming all that you're capable of becoming. But that all you're capable of becoming part actually requires uplifting other people. If that makes sense.
0: So that's what's greater than greatness. Greater than greatness is you making other people great as well.
1: Transcendence. <laughs> greater than greatness is transcendence. Yeah.
0: I like it. Yeah there's um Past Modern Wisdom guest, Aubrey Marcus, has this really beautiful quote where he talks about how in order to serve, you have to be fit for service. And he says, you don't serve other people from your cup. You serve them from the saucer that overflows around your cup. And what I'm wondering here is we've talked about the peak of greatness, the transcendence above self-actualization being raising others up as well. Can you raise others before you've raised yourself, or do you have to conquer your own mountain before you move on to them?
1: Great question. I, I think that you do have to conquer your own mountain. You really have to do a lot of the the inner work first. I what I try to do in this this book is show that in order to transcend yourself, you need a self that's transcended. You don't need to sacrifice yourself. There are some people who are trying to transcend. And, and and have a sense of self sacrifice where they almost feel guilty to first be great you know and and i don't i don't think that's 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 the best way to help the world is to is to squander your own talents in any way i don't i don't see these things as mutually exclusive i think the best thing is for a transcendence the best thing for for a transcendence to be most effective is when there's a seamlessness between yourself and the world, because yourself that you've developed or your talents and and capacities and strengths have been developed to such a degree that your being just by being in the world helps uplift others. So there's a seamlessness between self and world. That's the greatest thing is when there's a harmonious integration between self and world, not when you've made a self sacrifice to such a degree where you're uh where you feel as though you you don't matter and the only thing that matters are, is other people that i don't i wouldn't say that's the healthiest thing
0: i think some people as well uh they fall prey to being they sacrifice their own progress or they perhaps recount um trying to have objective measures of success And they do that in order to avoid having to play the game of success and prove themselves. I was wondering, I asked Aubrey this same question of how many people that follow an ascetic tradition now, you know, modern day, I'm not bothered about money, man, I'm not bothered about possessions, man, do it simply because they don't want to have to um, get down to brass tacks of doing some hard work. And it's very easy to signal that you're being very uh, charitable and altruistic and helping other people. But all the while having never conquered your own mountain, you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it it, it's it's true. I I I phrase it as pseudo transcendence or pseudo growth. (laughs) There are a lot of people that are trying to. (laughs) You like you like that. There are a lot of people that are trying to grow on a faulty foundation, and we all know what happens when you try to build anything on a faulty foundation get the trump tower no i'm joking i'm joking i'm joking don't
0: don't, don't put that. no one cares no one cares over here i mean 50 percent of the audience is in america but no one cares over here you got no enemies in the uk
1: okay i'll to say edit that out edit that yeah, out yeah, no, but, no. but um you know when you when you build anything on, on a faulty foundation where there's where it's being and what i mean by that is that the higher levels are being fueled by deficiencies that haven't been taken care of. Maybe it's a incessant quest for glory, or an incessant quest for uh, to be liked, or to, for connection, or or safety. When transcendence is being fueled by those deficiencies, it, it's not a well integrated unit. You know what I'm saying? Really, the most effective forms of of growth and transcendence uh, we call real growth is one that is not motivated anymore by the deficiencies of our basic needs but is motivated by exploration and love for uh uh, for the love in the sense of humanitarian love uh for all of humankind to help uplift the species not just yourself and 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 they have very different flavors to them these two forms of growth
0: so how do we get started i think right scott this sounds great i'm gonna get me some of that self-actualization. I'm going to help raise everybody up. W- where
1: do I start? It's it's interesting. I, I think that you need to do a real honest assessment of where you're at. Because, you know, you're asking me, where do you start? But there's such individual differences in where people are starting at, you know, who are listening to this podcast. You could have some people starting at the point where their basic safety needs are the most pressing at the moment. Um, and, and that's very fair considering the state of the world right now, this, uh, you know, what to date I'm looking at my calendar, March 18th, 2020, I couldn't even remember the year. <laughs> I'm like, where, where, <laughs> I, I, I've been, I've been a whole, I've been holed up in this, in, in this place for so long, you know, with, you know, scared to, you know, to, 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 leave that I don't even know what the day is or year, but Time um yeah, yeah. But people start – you have to really have an honest, real honest assessment of where you are. And I, I do uh, – my website, I try to – I have free personality, self-actualization personality test to help you figure, to kind of assess um, what uh, – I have a self-actualization test of 10 different dimensions. So you can see which of the dimensions are you most efficient in at the moment. And what, what you want to work on, because th- this path of self-actualization is so unique to each individual. So I I stay away from from advice of like you need to start here, because I, I want to know where where really do you need to start from. So that would I say, assess which of your needs is it is it the safety one? Is it your connection that's holding you back from self-actualizing it? Uh, maybe you feeling lonely these days. You should listen to that you know I, I think a lot of people pseudo grow or become pseudo great pseudo great sounds even funnier doesn't I like it, it man.
0: yeah pseudo everything i want some pseudo cake and a pseudo toothpaste
1: it sounds funny actually pseudo to be you're only pseudo great yeah <laughs> but, yeah,
0: yeah it's like a, it's like a, a put down yeah
1: like a rap, yeah, like a a
0: rap put, battle put it, down
1: it's like a rap battle yeah exactly <laughs> um but uh, this the first time i've ever used that phrase but uh, but i'm saying like you may think you've achieved greatness, and people might tell you, you you're great, but maybe you're suffering with with profound loneliness, and and that's important. That's an important signal. I would say you need to start there. <laughs> Don't start with how great you you think you are. Mm. Start with start with the loneliness part. Um, or maybe maybe you actually struggle with the with esteem issues self-esteem issues and maybe that's that's where you need to start maybe you're you're you getting your validation from others too much and you're not feel you feel like who am i anymore uh, apart from my likes on twitter you know maybe maybe that's confusing you and so you should start there so i, I think that there are lots of places a lot of entry ways. that's what i'm saying mm-hmm. depending yeah. depending on where you're at right now i wonder how many
0: people that are listening uh Feeling a, a little bit of a pang there as we go through some of the common the common issues that you've got the safety perhaps talking about financial worries you know money worries future worries basic stuff or connection I did a, an episode with Lydia Denworth who's just written a book called Friendship talking about this loneliness epidemic which is apparently sweeping America you know this lack of connection that we've got and how uh, online friendships don't supplement for real world ones or then on top of that later on on again about this uh, potential lack of self-esteem we're using likes and uh, likability online as a proxy for the way that we feel you know for our, our our actual self-esteem so yeah i think um there's probably a few people now that are, are feeling that pang inside so i want to um yeah. a lot to- of
1: people more than a few yeah,
0: yeah for sure um i want to talk about peak experiences can you tell us about what you looked at to do with that in the book.
1: That's a, that's a phrase Maslow used to talk about what are the most wondrous moments of our lives that make life worth living? No big deal. <laughs> NBD. Sounds sounds
0: like I want more of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and he really set all, I set out to discover what are all the different ways people can, Satisfy can have peak experiences and they could take a lot of different forms uh, and, interestingly enough he found a lot of women reported childbirth as being their greatest peak experience and um how do you have one eyebrow go up and the other one stay put that
0: was from when i was in school and i really really wanted to be Dwayne the rock johnson and i yeah. uh, practiced and practiced and practiced but i can only do it on one side
1: it's amazing. Now d- does testosterone predict whether you can do that? Because I can't do that. <laughs>
0: I don't I think it's got nothing to do with testosterone. Huh. I think it's got everything huh. to do with me being a, a closet WWE nerd throughout most of <laughs> throughout most of my secondary school and um that being like the one didn't learn to do the DDT or the German suplex, but I could raise I could do the people's eyebrow. And now now it just comes out when I'm slightly intrigued. I'm Like, "Oh, yeah. interesting." So I'm intrigued, so go on.
1: That was impressive. Well, do you remember what I actually said that caused that that eyebrow to go up? No, <laughs> we've lost it. Lost the thread. We've lost this the thread.
0: In my welcome. in my defense, I'm dealing with coronavirus. Oh. Yeah, I know. I know. Um,
1: so we were yeah, talking but, about. But, wait, can I? I'm going to knock on wood because that might not be true, right? Yeah, you you, it might just <laughs> yeah, be it. A, I've a just code. got
0: some virus at the moment. Yeah, I mean, if I've got a virus and I'm I'm self isolating and it's not COVID nineteen, I'm going to be so pissed off. Because I'm just at home for what a waste. I know. What a waste that during month. this time, and also it's the trendy virus that everyone wants at the moment, right? You know, I don't want. I don't want last year's virus. I want this
1: year's virus. Do you watch? Do you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm?
0: Yes, bits and bats. I've not yeah. seen all of it.
1: Yeah, that, this is something Larry David would do: is to just as use an excuse whenever people are like, "Hey, Larry, why, why are you being such an ass?" To be like, "I got, I got the corona." sniffles and a fever who'd have thought of that yeah like you know like being really awkward on a first date you know and like and they're like and the lady girl's like why are you the lady is like why are you speaking so awkward like i got corona they're like
0: oh thank you yeah it's a get of jail free card uh, peak experiences childbirth. That was it. Oh,
1: peak experiences childbirth. Wow, what a tangent that yeah, was! Yeah, and
0: the guy, the guy with coronavirus, brings it home. Let's
1: get it. Yeah. what well, a tangent that was. Well, I've been known. This is what I've known for. Is is uh, my legacy is, is tangents. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so uh, there are lots of different things from from childbirth to to watching a sunset to overcoming a great challenge to coming up with a having insight an idea you know I'm sure Albert Einstein had, had moments of peak experiences on his desk you know at, at, not on his at, his at his desk you know. Um, so you know these sorts of uh, very varied things can can, can tr- be triggers of peak experiences and 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 yet Mazo realized the last year last year and a half of his life, that maybe peak experiences weren't the most profound moments of transcendence we could have as a species. He started to discover what he called plateau experiences, which a lot of people don't know about in his writing. And plateau experiences, he described as like lounging in heaven, not getting so excited about it. It's basically being able to cultivate a mild form of peak experiences throughout your whole day. Where you have, uh, you cultivate more sustainably a sense of wonder and a sense of gratitude and, um, and, and awe for, for things in your, in your, in your moment to moment experience, not these one off profound peak experiences. And he only discovered that when he confronted his mortality, when he confronted his, uh, potential for a heart attack that he could have at any time. Uh, because he had one and survived it. And he said that living this post-mortem life, is what he called it, turned out to be the biggest trigger of of, of transcendence than I ever realized in all my theories. So I think that peak experiences are very important and, and can really help open us up to greater possibilities for ourselves and others. But I think ultimately the wisdom there uh, that Mazza was talking about, and, and which a lot of Buddhist practitioners talk about. He, he drew a lot on the Buddhist and Indian traditions as well. Um, his colleague, Yue Ansari, actually, is the one who uh, really brought to prominence the idea of the plateau experience. He just co-opted the term from his East Indian colleague. But these are things that we can cultivate in our moment-to-moment experience, because this is, this is all we got, is the moment. That's it.
0: Shy of childbirth, Shy of me having to get myself pregnant, which there's a number of hurdles for me to overcome there. Um, how your
1: voice is way too deep. Th-
0: uh, well, th- that's another one I hadn't even thought of that. Um, how can full, I have more? To,
1: to you see what I'm saying to be to yeah, okay. I understand.
0: <laughs> um, how can I have more transcendent experiences in my day to day life? I don't want to have to jump off a a skyscraper. I don't want to have to give birth every day. Well,
1: some of the most well what are where's your what are, let me ask you what are some of the triggers that you can think of that you've noticed in your past have have been a trigger for for a peak experience what what are some of the themes
0: so visual beauty certainly i like to travel
1: i like to yeah. go i like to go
0: places um recently went to bali in indonesia and there's a tiny little island called gili t uh, which has just the most phenomenal sunsets you've ever seen out in the middle of the ocean. Uh, that was, yeah. that was just outs- outrageous. Um, certainly some of the conversations that I have, you know, when I get to podcast or when I'm in full flow, when I don't look at the clock, when I don't think about anything else, um, you know, I'm just, I'm fully engrossed in what I'm talking about. This flow between me and the guest, uh, during a It's a big one for me. Yeah. A big one for- yeah. I, I, I really do. I pity people who don't have that outlet in their life, you know, that don't have the outlet for a genuine, um, deep, rigorous conversation. Because there's so, it's the freest thing you're ever going to get. You just need you and a and a buddy, um, and yeah, it really can be unbelievably, unbelievably fun. Um, workouts, a hard workout um, in a class with my with my friends again as well, maybe, or, or you know, doing a wad somewhere. Um, Reading sometimes as well, like reading a book at the moment, The Moral Animal by Robert Wright. I just can't put the thing <laughs> down. Um, I talked
1: to him yesterday. <laughs> no way. Yeah,
0: yeah. He's yeah. a G. um i have I d I I've I've got told to read it for ages. Reading, reading a book. Oh my god, that's so cool. Oh my god, that's so and you just keep on going, keep on going, chewing it up, chewing it up. Seven Eves by Neil Stevenson as well. That was a sci-fi book that I read. And that just I was staying up until two in the morning to read a book. I haven't done that since I was, well, I don't know if I've ever done that before, you know, like stuff like that. So there's, there's
1: some of mine. Beautiful. So trying to, I'm trying to think of the common theme among all those, all those things that you just mentioned. So
0: the the Uh, first one uh, that comes to mind for me is presence.
1: Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, that's that's undeniable aspect, and that's a common characteristic of of anyone in in the in the throes of the peak experience, so to speak. I mean, the modern there's a modern day term that is used a lot, which is flow. Uh, that Mihai Mihai has talked about, but the flow concept has been tied so much to performance. And that wasn't really the spirit of Maslow's notion of peak experiences. If anything, the peak experience is when you're not trying to perform at all, right? You're really being. He called it, he called it moments of pure being is what he referred to. that sounds a little woo woo. But what does that mean? Can we unpack the, the notion of pure being? You know, and, and it, you're kind of bringing your whole self to the table and all of your powers to the table. And you're not being self-critical of it. You're you're you have a lot. You have as many degrees of freedom as possible in the moment, because you're not being inhibited by your fears and by your uh, anxieties. And, and my grandma would say, "Oh, you're Michigan."
0: <laughs> you're <just> to- <laughs> totally unencumbered, right? And I I get it as well. The um the flow dynamic that always did sit a slightly askew for me. I'm not trying to do something which is both challenging and worthwhile at the limits of okay. my performance when I watch a sunset. I'm not that, trying to I, watch I've the I've sunset. I've said that
1: before. Yeah. yeah, I've said those exact Scott, words before. Scott,
0: yeah. we are we are brothers in mind, my friend. Um yes. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to watch the sunset better than last time. Watch the sunset better than the person next to me. Um, you could definitely use it as a meditative experience and be like, right, okay, well, I want to be as present as I can be. I don't think that that's that's trying to push it too far, but yeah, there's there's no there's no top leaderboard of who watched the sunset the best.
1: That's exactly right, and it also doesn't explain why people report their greatest peak experiences when they're in tune with another human being. And you mentioned that as one of your triggers. It's a it's a great trigger for me too, when there's a great synchronicity between you and another person, and it usually happens when. You're not trying to change the, the person at all. I mean, Carl Rogers does have a beautiful quote about that. Carl Rogers is a humanistic psychotherapist. And he he's like, when you're looking at sunset, you're not like, oh, I wish I could just change that corner a little bit, move it up a little. <laughs> you just admire it for what it is. And treating humans like that as well is is going to make it increase the likelihood that you'll have a peak experience with that person. There's no challenge there. Like the concept of flow doesn't seem to to apply in, in, in so many experiences that we could call peak experiences.
0: I think you're right. So how do we move from the peak experiences to the peak plateau? How do I make the sunset last all day?
1: Well I don't know if we if the goal is to make the sunset last all day, but I think the goal is more how can we make the moment last while the sunset is still there? It might be subtle, subtle difference. Because part of this highest state of consciousness uh, that Maslow was talking about in, in the plateau experience is your ability to simultaneously be present in the moment, but also be aware of the impermanence of the moment. It's actually this juxtaposition that allows us to have that sense of transcendence. He would have exercises where he would say, you know, talk to someone and imagine while you're talking to them that this is the last time that you'll ever talk to that person forevermore. How does that change? your, 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 your presence with this person, you know? And I think that he actually, he came up with a whole list of these activities of pure being, which I have in the book.
0: Hit us, hit us with some, I want to know some of okay. them, Scott.
1: Yeah. This is how living in the realm of pure being. Um, perceive the eternal intrinsic laws of the cosmos. No big deal. Easy
0: one. Easy one. I do Took. that. Sometimes I do that before breakfast.
1: Yeah, me too. To accept or even love these laws is Taoistic in the essence of a good citizen of the universe. Embrace your past. Embrace your guilt rather than running from it. Be compassionate with yourself. Be understanding, accepting, forgiving, and perhaps even loving about your, your I don't even know how to pronounce the word, foibles, F-O-I-B-L-E-S, F-O-I-B-L-E-S as expressions foibles. of human nature. Foibles. Foibles. There we go. Foibles. As expressions of human nature, enjoy and smile at yourself. Ask yourself, how would this situation look to a child, to the innocent, to a very old person who is beyond personal ambition and competition? Try to recover the sense of the miraculous about life. For example, a baby is a miracle. Think for that baby now, anything could happen, and the sky is the limit. Cultivate the sense of infinite possibility, the sense of admiration, awe, respect, and wonder. May i just give you one more, one of my favorites. Hit it. Uh, I, I really like this one if you find yourself and i I actually practice this one I try if you find yourself becoming egoistic arrogant conceited or puffed up think of mortality or think of other arrogant and conceited people and see how they look do you want to look like that do you want to take yourself that seriously to be that unhumorous
0: I really like that that third party perspective is it's so powerful the do you um- do- Oh, sorry. Go on. Just yeah. the ability to look at to look at yourself as if you were a friend, you know, as if you're a friend looking at you, watching your actions, um, because you just strip away all the biases, all of the attachments, and you go, yeah, that if I saw my friend do that, that would be that yeah. be kind of that be kind of weird.
1: Absolutely, and I think that I often know who I want to be by seeing great examples of people I don't want to be. Do you, do you ever, you know, do you ever just like see someone and you're like, that's not, <laughs> that's not my, that wouldn't be my best self.
0: <laughs> man, I, I learn from other people's failures more than other people's successes, I think.
1: Boom. Well, drop the mic on that one.
0: Uh, I love it. I love a mic drop, man. That's what I'm here for. Um, but yeah, I, I, I honestly, I do. Um, what's that quote? I can't remember the guy. It might be Peter Thiel he say um, any idiot can learn from their own experience I prefer to learn from the experiences of others
1: yeah yeah I mean there, and there's so much that's why great literature stands the test of time. Some of the greatest literature are great stories that transcend the ages of people failing in all sorts of ways and yeah there's not there's not uh, not a lot of examples of great literature there about do to do a story of a person who had it all great <laughs> lived their life great and, and it was fine yeah it was all good you know we 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 were you know we passed down from generations to generations archetypes of failures that we can all resonate with and learn from
0: i want to talk about familiarization and and fresh experiences and how this relates to transcendence can you okay. talk to us, can you talk to us about that
1: yes so, psych- I can I can talk about different levels of nerdiness. Pick a level from one to five. I want five th- being super nerdy. I want five, please. Thank you. Oh, you want? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you chose it. Throw us in uh, at the
0: deep end. Come on, Scott.
1: Psychologists have studied a a concept called latent inhibition, which is a biological gating mechanism that we share with other animals. That automatically tags our experience as relevant or irrelevant to a goal that we have in our mind. Uh, our brain does it at a very subconscious and automatic level. It turns out that people who are very creative tend to have a very low latent inhibition. They're very unlikely to tag any experience automatically as as irrelevant and um, and and, hi- and inhibit the experience or idea or or things coming into their visual field as as irrelevant and and, and, and mark it away uh, and, and, and 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 take it away from the experience. So people who are creative and another way of saying that is that they treat experiences that they may have experienced before as irrelevant. They experience it as fresh every time that they see it. You know, this lead this lead inhibition mechanism that we evolved from other and which which we share with other animals is important, so that we don't, as the existential philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said, we so we don't drown in possibility. You know, it's important to have some sort of gating mechanism. But it's also important not to have too much. You know, it's important. Yes, it's true to learn from the past what is relevant what's irrelevant, and and to, to tag things as irrelevant if we experience them again in a particular context. But for creative people, often what seemed irrelevant becomes a great insight eventually, becomes, becomes relevant someday. You have to be open to the fact that what was once irrelevant may become relevant. I had an example of that on Twitter just yesterday <laughs> where an idea I, I, I was obsessed about during my dissertation for five years. I wrote, I wrote the published the paper. No one, no one cared about the paper. Hmm. <laughs> uh, a, a, a whole decade later, you know, feel like a you know a failure for my dissertation. I saw its relevance of of, a, of the study to the world we live in today, and I tweeted it out, and it went viral. It went viral amongst nerdy scientists. But that's still that's something. That's still something. And and I is suddenly relevant. So you have to. Constantly have that faith as a creative human being that things that uh, you believe in or things that are meaningful to you uh, that they'll matter. And but also it's important to have a newness of appreciation of things constantly. You know, um, it, it's it's great to have gratitude for new things in your life that are good, but it's even better to have gratitude for the things that that uh, have become stale to others. If that makes sense.
0: Absolutely, yeah. There's a a million a million doorways that I've got open at the moment so I'm going to guess this relates to the the learner's brain or the learner's mind in a way where the the beginner's mind, yeah. The beginner's beginner's mindset where the first time that you see something, you kind of take more of it in. Um, I had Laura Vanderkam who wrote off the clock on last year and she was talking about how one of the best examples of a beginner's learner's mindset is when you go on holiday and it's, For instance, I can't tell you anything about my drive to work from the last six months, but I can tell you the type of shoes and the book that the guy that walked us to our boat in Africa two years ago was wearing. You know, I know the exact colour of the book. I know how it looked in his hand. I know the way that he walked. I know the colour of his jacket. Why? And her argument, you may be able to tell us, uh, her argument was that when your brain gets exposed to new novel experiences, it doesn't know what it'll need to remember. Therefore, it kind of opens up and tends to sponge in more. I also guess that just generally when you're somewhere new, your desire to be present, you're not distracted, you're not looking at your phone, you're not thinking about something else. You're like, holy fuck, I'm in Africa. Look at this. Look at this guy. Look at his book. Look at his shoes.
1: That's that's true for sure. Also, the emotional experience, the, the um, valence of the emotional experience matters. I wrote an article for Scientific American, which your your audience might be interested in. Link let's see if in I can, show notes re-
0: below. Link will be in show notes below.
1: Uh, oh, thank you. Oh, cool. Let me see if I can uh, find the actual title of it so I don't make up the title on <laughs> here on the spot. Don't make
0: the title of your, own, of your own article up, Scott. That would be a bad look. Ex-
1: ex- that'd be, that would be a bad look. Um, let's see. I try to avoid bad looks. Okay. Emotionally extreme experiences, not just positive or negative experiences, are more meaningful in life. Yep. So what the, this relates actually to the peak experiences thing. Peak experiences are tend to be the most memorable moments in our lives, and it, it, it's not just you know so it's not just the positive or negative aspect of it. So That also applies to to negative aspects of our lives. They still become uh, the most meaningful moments in our lives. Not saying we don't we wouldn't rather not have some of those negative moments, but it's really the the emotional. Valence of it, just how much it impacts us, at that, it touches us at an emotional level. That that is a source of meaning for us, not just whether it was positive or negative.
0: I've been thinking about this a little bit recently, actually, as I was talking um, about living on the edge, and everybody that's listening, plus yourself, will have some friends who tend to shy away from the bottom 25 and the top 25 percent of um, extremeness within experience both good and bad right they like to live in that interquartile range they like to live in that middle 50 percent and it does feel quite comfortable but there's a reason the edges are there right edges wouldn't be there if they weren't there for you to stand on them and there's nothing more exciting than staring over the edge of a building and I, I really I really do think that as we start to push ourselves out towards... Obviously, you need to do it safely, like I am not your doctor, every disclaimer under the sun. But um, you need to allow yourself to go out and experience. And I wonder as well whether in a world where we we have more so much more convenience, I can get my Uber to the store to d- deliver my gourmet burger back to the house where I watch my Netflix and I then get, you know, Amazon to Prime, my next outfit through the door. I wonder whether we are nerfing the edges. Of the extremeness and the intensity of experience in the modern world.
1: Yeah, we are. And what, we're, what we, like, like people like to fear monger, because fear mongering sells. When I say people, I mean marketers. <laughs> <laughs> By people, I mean douchebags. Now, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Do you know what I mean? Like that. That's what they do. Whatever sells, they'll do it. So. You know, right now, you know, the coronavirus scare, you see on Facebook, everyone is selling like, oh, I have the best P95 face mask and <laughs> N95 face mask out of everyone else. Fear-mongering. Well, what actually is better for growth is to be excited by by the challenge, you know, as opposed to fear it and avoid it. There's a... A uh, form of psychotherapy called ACT, Acceptance Commitment Therapy. I don't know if you've heard of it, where it it shows that experiential avoidance is one of the greatest sources of mental illness, and that the reverse of that, which 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 uh, psychologists call psychological flexibility, um, or Maslow would actually refer to that uh, refer to that as uh, well, I would, I would, Scott Barry Coffin would refer to that as exploration, Yeah, <laughs> you know, Got you. like yep. the, the spirit of exploration allows us to even to be actually excited by things that most people would fear as a challenge to overcome.
0: Life is not lived from the comfort of your couch, man. Like it, it, it really isn't. And the more that I spend time, um, being able to do what I want, I, I run yeah. I, my own business. I have a, a wonderful amount of, of freedom and liberty in my day to day life, and I have to check myself to make sure that I'm not taking the path of least resistance because it can become painfully convenient. Is that, does that make sense? It, it, oh, it, it yes. becomes destructively convenient, so I need to consistently try and find novelty, intensity, um, new people, new things to do. Um, but I also think it, it can also, it totally identifies why we might have a crisis of meaninglessness and existential dread and all this sort of stuff. Because when you're not fighting the lion at the door who's trying to eat half your family or worrying about where your next meal comes from, well, why should you really bother about anything? I can just get Amazon delivered through the door. I, I, you know, I can, everything's chill. It's fine. But that does lead to the crisis because you're so, the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is so well serviced that we now have to actually make a decision about what to do to get to the top. And in a meritocracy, if the people who fail, uh, if the people who succeed are worthy of their own success, then the people who fail are worthy of their own failures. And I think that that, that's right. that means that people can get real, real scared. That's not my idea. That is the idea of Alan de Botton, but thank you, Alan, for that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's no, quite right. And I, I know that Alan has written about Maslow's hierarchy of needs as well. and. No, so, no, that was, that was that was well said. Can we
0: do uh, contemplate your life from a historian's point of view? That sounds really cool. <laughs> well,
1: that that that's one of the uh, exercises, the 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 exercises of pure being. I was I was running down the list of the things. Yeah, if you view yourself from a historian's perspective, you know what what is w- this time period and putting it in context of prior context. You know, in a lot of ways. The world is the best it's ever been in in terms of poverty, in terms of almost any metric you look at. Stephen mm. Pinker has written, has written about that, you know. Yeah. And I know that our day to day—that's cold comfort for our day to day living, and what may seem like a catastrophe. But it's certainly better, you know, from a historian's perspective. Certainly better to live in 2020 with a virus than 1918. You know, with the influenza uh, pandemic, or I think it was called Spanish flu or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, the, the kind of technologies we have and, uh, and progress we've made, this is probably the best time in human history to have such a pandemic, right? So yeah, I think the historian's perspective one is putting things in a certain perspective of the rest of humanity and the rest of human history, and also thinking about 100, 200 years from now how will people view the actions we made as well as as, is important to, to think about when we take certain actions.
0: Should we be scared or frightful or worried about the fact that realistically in 75 years time, no one will remember our name or what we did.
1: The only, the only part of you that's scared of that is your ego and if you can transcend the ego then that just won't be a concern for you anymore that 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 question won't won't matter and it's not easy transcending the ego because it's so powerful it's such a, it seems like such a, a driving force for for so many of us but you look at those who've managed to transcend their fear of death as well and and some 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 of some of that comes from just taking one good LSD trip, quite frankly, and 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 seeing what it what it means to to be egoless, and you can enjoy. Then, if you could find it's sort of like a relief for these people who can reach those moments, and so, and 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 people reach it not just through LSD route. I should say, you know, mindfulness meditation through a lot of inner inner work on integration and. And and getting outside yourself and helping others, and you realize that it it doesn't really matter. Uh, what really you know it 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 matters what you what you do in in your day to day life to to help other human existence. But it doesn't always have to be this grandiose. You know, I started a nonprofit and a humanitarian nonprofit. You know, the stereotypical I have a humanitarian nonprofit person, you know, and they're always talking about how they have a humanitarian nonprofit. Yeah. They won't shut up about it. But, like, but there, I say this in a cheeky way because I don't think we appreciate the person who just by their being in the world every day, they're uplifting others. They're not going on Twitter immediately and announcing it, but they're, Giving a smile to a stranger on the street. Well, that counts. I mean, there, you know, they. There are so many things throughout the course of the day that count in terms of your existence. You just maximize your existence on a day-to-day basis. I think that's good enough.
0: It's like the stereotypical great mum, isn't it? Shout out, yeah. My, shout out, my mum, Kathy, who'll be listening. Thank you for uh, for smiling at strangers in the street and doing stuff like that.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. In fact, Abraham Maslow thought that his wife's, his wife Bertha's mom was more self-actualized than he was. <laughs> <That's so laughs> she wasn't that's so funny. Yeah, like some yeah, woman
0: who probably can't even, didn't even know, wasn't really that bothered. Abraham, yeah. stop talking about work at the dinner table, like all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. then she somehow managed to achieve what he, like more than he did.
1: Yeah, I mean, Abraham Maslow hated his mom. But he really was quite fond of his wife's mom, yeah. uh, was interesting, and, and and he really did resent his own mom. That wasn't—that's a whole other story, because <laughs> she was superstitious and stuff. But yeah, but he really thought that his wife Bertha's mom was was really self-actualized, and, and she was not um, high achieving. So it's very clear he didn't equate self-actualization with achievement. He really equated it with with this what he called being love, literally being love. You know, and that's not doing what there's so many a lot of people that that do love in in, in this kind of grandiose virtue signaling sort of way, you know, Mm. but are just assholes to everyone in their daily life. And that's not being love, you know.
0: It's the same. It goes back to what we were talking about before to do with the, the, the aesthetic who's recounted all worldly possessions, but it's just a signal. You know, I had Robin Hanson on a, a year and a bit ago, and you know, he's he's the man for signals. The elephant, the elephant in the brain, right? And um, Paul Bloom had this great quote as well when I spoke to him, where he said, uh, "There is no such thing as not giving a shit. There is only seeming like you are not giving a shit." It's like everybody's signaling all the time. It's the people for whom, like I. Yeah. don't think that my mum is i don't think that my mum will go and do something nice for one of the ladies at work like take her some flowers in for a birthday or do whatever i don't think she's doing it so other people see her taking those in you know
1: that's right that's exactly right yeah at the end of the day what maslow's whole project of self-actualization and many people don't realize this he started off just taking. he started what he called the good human being notebook and he just took examples of people he saw that he thought were good human beings. He didn't start off like with even the concept of self-actualization. It started off with just I want to study the greatest specimens of good human beings, and he really believed that by studying them, he could he could uh, like understand human potential. He, you know, he really believed by, we we should study the growing tip of humanity, which is what he called it. You know, all trees uh, have a point of their growth where they grow the most at the top he calls the growing tip there's a lot there are a lot of parts of the trees that do not grow anymore you know so he wanted to study the growing tip of humanity to see what we're all capable of and and that was really about about the good human being it wasn't about the 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 one who dominated all the competition you know or who had their face on the cover of time the most amount of times you know
0: how do we... We've touched on Robert Wright earlier on, and because I've got Eve psyche in the back of my mind all the time at the moment, I want to I kind of touch on that. We spoke about this transcending of the ego, bypassing some of the mechanisms which exist, or they were created because we needed them. We needed to do play the game of hierarchy, dominance game, I am, look at me, I am here, I am better than this person because it was all relative and we lived in a band of 50 people. We needed to have a fear of death because it was fitness enhancing. We needed to X, Y, Z, all the way along. Just what does this mean for the future? What does this mean for us as we move forward now as a race, as a species? What are the humans of the future going to be like? Is the hope that we're all just going to become these kind of bonobo... Super chill, uh, free love man kind of animals. Do you think that that's ever achievable?
1: I feel like you're asking a really quite profound question. Could you could you maybe ask it again?
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: sure.
0: <laughs> um, essentially, my question is: Can we transcend our nature? That's the, that's that's the question.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a question I I wrestle with, and and not only do I think we can, so yes, the answer is I do think we can. This is the the spirit of the book. This is the spirit of the book, Transcend, is that I think that in order to transcend ourselves, we have to become greater than the sum of our parts. We have to ultimately realize that human beings are not just a a combination of all of our evolutionary modules, that we can actually become integrated and a whole unit that works towards – a conscious purpose of some sort. And that really makes us different than other animals. A lot of evolutionary psychologists get a great glee from pointing out how similar similar we are to other animals. Like, look, we have the same mating patterns as the gorilla. But whilst, and I say whilst because you're in England, that may be true. They're not wrong. I think there's so many aspects of humans that, that make us is that make us human. And that was the spirit of Maslow and the humanistic psychologist. And I'm trying to bring that spirit back,
0: man. I love it. There's a, to, my final quote that I've got is from a guy called Daniel Schmachtenberger. Do you know him from civilization emerging?
1: <laughs> he's a good friend of mine. <laughs>
0: no way. So I was supposed to yeah. speak to him. I was supposed to speak to him on Sunday, but we, ah. we got the time, we got the times wrong. And he's got from that, um, uh, talk on emergence that he gave, on YouTube. And in that he has this brilliant quote, which is that as human beings, because of our level of consciousness and the fact that we can interject into the way that we're programmed from nature, we're not just passengers, we're the captains of the ship. And that distinction between the two, between being a passenger and being the captain, that's, it would appear that that's kind of what we're talking about here.
1: For sure, Dano Dan and I had some good conversations about just that topic. Strolling along San Diego's streets, <laughs> you should have recorded
0: <laughs> I that. I tell you what, if you'd recorded that, I would have listened.
1: <laughs> well, well, uh, actually, you can listen to me and him talking on his podcast um, uh, a couple of years ago. He had me on his podcast, and we had a great chat about self-actualization.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. Look, I, I, I'm, Scott, I'm, I'm conscious that I've, I've taken up a bunch of your time, and. Uh, Thank you. I need to I need to let you get back because you got to evade a coronavirus out there. So Transcend it is out seventh of April. So link will be in the show notes below to pre order. And if people want to hassle you online, where should they go?
1: Oh, well, I'd really like it if people could check out the Psychology Podcast, which is my own podcast. Um, ScottBerryKaufman.com uh, has all the episodes as well as a lot, uh, free self-actualization personality tests they can take. Uh, so at ScottBerryKaufman.com. and then also on Twitter, I'm very active on Twitter. Um, if you want to see my haf- my half-baked ramblings, <laughs> uh, go on Twitter. You know. I want to watch you I- go
0: viral with a bunch of uh, a bunch of psychology nerds. That's what I want to see.
1: Oh, well, yes. My most recent tweet uh, did did pretty well, uh, showing that uh, IQ is different, arguing in a study I did my dissertation, my doctoral dissertation, that IQ is not the same thing as the motivation for (laughs) truth-seeking. They're different things.
0: Now that, if ever I've heard a title that is Daniel Schmachtenberger, it is that one.
1: (laughs) Wonderful, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 for sure.
0: Scott, man, thank you so much for your time. Links to everything that we've spoken about will be in the show notes below. Of course, Transcend, New Science of Self-Actualization will be in there. Psychology podcast, scottberrycoffman.com. All that good stuff. You know what to do. Like, share, and subscribe. If you've got any questions, feel free to get in touch with me. But for now, Scott, thanks, man.
1: Thank you, Chris. It was a great chat. (laughs)